Beyond the Pillion is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kaurna people, and we would like to pay our respects to elders, past and present. Welcome to Beyond the Pillion. Today we are talking about long distance riding, preparing your bike and planning the ride. My name is Kahiwa Sabaya. I use she, her pronouns and I am the chaotic one. And my name is Mark Drexler, he, him pronouns, and these aren't greys in my beard, they're racing stripes. <laughs> very, very racing Just stripes, wanted to clear for that sure. Up for everyone. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the feedback. <laughs> Uh, we have had a little bit of a break, but we are back today. Um, really excited after the recent announcement of the date for mm. Sheila's Shakedown at 2024, uh, which is the 23rd to the 25th of February. You might have heard in some previous episodes where we have mentioned our trip out to Sheila's earlier this year. Um, so if you are interested in a women's motorcycling festival in rural Victoria full of shenanigans, we will be talking about that in more detail soon. In the meantime, have a look uh, for Sheila's Shakedown on the socials for a little bit more information. And in that vein, as we start looking ahead to February next year, uh, for a, at least one of us probably heading across on a, on a trip to <laughs> uh, to the Shakedown, then we've started thinking about longer rides. Mm. So we have both started doing some longer rides this year. And when we talk about longer rides, um, sort of talk about rides where we're we're riding over several hours in a day um, and having overnight stops in between. And mm. today what we're going to do is to summarise some of the things that we have managed to work out so far. Yes. Um, and, and recently I did a, a trip out to the Clare Valley, which is around about kind of 160 k's uh, each way. Not a super long ride in the, the context of these things, but Um, I was staying there for several days and travelling just by motorcycle. Um, So it was actually a really good chance to think through storage um, and also riding solo um, away from home. Um, And also then the trip earlier this year out to Ballin in Victoria for Sheila's Shakedown, which was a little bit more like 600 k's each way. That was another great learning experience for me as well. Now that Ballon trip, though, uh, it was was a bit different. It was a little bit of cheating at that stage, wasn't it? Because uh, we did have a support <laughs> vehicle on that one. Yes, yes, we did. But it was still, I think, a really good learning opportunity, um, particularly for me being my first longer ride. Um, I learnt a lot about just spending hours in the saddle Hmm. Um, and even though the luggage aspect was a lot easier, I still had to make the trip from Ballarat to Ballin by myself. Um, So it was all all very valuable. Hmm. Yep, very fair, very fair. So when you think back to that ride and some of the longer rides that you've started doing, then what are some of the key points that you have picked up? Hmm. I think um, from you, definitely preparing the bike, uh, mm-hmm. the importance of that. Um, uh, also kind of planning the ride more generally. And for me in particular, it was about preparing my body. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one of those I think we'll save for a later episode just around physical preparation for riding in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think preparing the bike and planning the ride would probably be the two main things. Yep. 
that we can that we will unpack in today's episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth mentioning something that we're not going to talk about today, and that is prepping for camping trips. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, for, for for a couple of reasons. Firstly, that really does get into a world of its own, um, and secondly, that it's also something that we're really not qualified to talk about on that side of things. No, uh, <laughs> no, because uh, yeah, we are. Um, I was going to use not a word. Campers. That, no, we're, we're we're not really campers, <laughs> so we do um, prefer to stay either with friends or in motels or hotels along the way. Maybe mm. that's something um, for a future episode that we could get somebody who does some more hardcore adventure riding and camping uh, to come in and do a, a sort of an extension to what we're going to talk about today about um, going away and carrying mm. all of the camping gear as well as staying. That'd be really cool. Absolutely. So yeah, today we are really just talking about making longer trips. Um, Yeah, where you might be staying with friends or in a motel or a hotel. So you don't really need to carry your home on your bike, but you do still need to be able to carry your gear safely and comfortably. Mm -hmm. And that is a perfect segue into the first point that you raised earlier, Kahiwa, prepping the bike. So, I, I know you have done a fair bit of research into this on your MTO7. Yes. Um, what are the different options for carrying gear and some of the pros and cons of each? Yeah. Um, my favourite and go-to uh, since I started riding is being a top box attached to a rear rack, uh, so on the back of the bike. Um, it keeps the bike really narrow. Um, usually they're lockable, so uh, if you want to leave your gear on the bike while you step away to go into shops or something, then generally speaking, your gear is quite safe and secure. Um they typically limited to just a few kilos of storage. Um, so when you're thinking about what you might need to carry, they're usually not designed for quite heavy things. Mm. Um, and even with just a couple of kilos, it does make the bike somewhat more top heavy. Mm. Um, and I noticed that on the ride out to, to clear, um, just the impact of that extra weight, just that little bit, higher up and in behind you and how that kind of um, affected, Mm -hmm. I suppose, a little bit acceleration, but mostly more, I think, kind of handling into the corners Mm -hmm. um, that felt a little bit different. And then you're a little bit more susceptible to crosswinds as well, it felt like. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, And would you also, did you notice any difference just moving the bike around when you had the top box set up and sort of higher centre of gravity there as well? Like when you come to a stop and you're doing low speed or shifting the bike around, anything different Mm. there as well? Yeah, definitely um, kind of low speed riding, um, just that little bit more, needing a little bit more control Mm -hmm. um, and the control being slightly different. I'm somewhat used to riding around with a top box anyway. As I said, for me, it's my general preferred method of of gear. Mm or storage lugging Mm -hmm. around. Um, So that is quite a a typical um, way that that I would store things. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly given the other things that I had um, on the bike that day, yeah, it did, um, I think, have that risk of just being a little bit more unwieldy, a little bit more unstable, Mm -hmm. just having to take a little bit more focus. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. I'll throw something else in here about top boxes as well, and that is, 
Uh, the temptation to overload your top box in terms of weight um, yes, really sir. resist that temptation. And the reason being is that uh, it, so it's not the top box where the limitation exists. It's more in the rack that mm. attaches the top box to your bike. Um, now, if you put too much that overloads that uh, that rack, then you're not only overloading the rack, you're potentially overloading what is called the subframe of your motorbike. So uh, the, um, the the primary frame of your motorbike holds uh, holds in all the big heavy bits like the engine. Uh, the subframe is typically on the rear of the motorbike and uh, will, will often sort of have the rear seat section. They are designed to hold a certain amount of weight um, um. between the rack and the tail section. So I have heard of stories of people who have grossly overloaded their top boxes and ended up either um, bending or breaking either those racks or in extreme cases um, damaging the rear subframe. So getting mm. ben bends or cracks in the, in the rear subframe. So yeah, do take heed of what the, uh, the, the sort of maximum rating is of, of weight. Um, I think top boxes, as Kay was said, that they have some really good advantages, but one of the things they're not great at is storing really heavy stuff. So yeah. you've been warned. <laughs> What's next? I, I suppose uh, oh, for me, I think they're you know, often designed for helmets or mm. you know some jumpers or, or something like that. And Spot so on. that's the kind of level of weight yep. um, that when you're thinking about what it should be carrying, about that kind of, of weight. Yep. In contrast to another option um, that I almost – Almost had in place for for my trip out to Clear, but couldn't quite manage it. But am keen to get set up and to um, hear what it's like on um, a new MT09, um, and that is panniers. Mm. So these sit um, towards the rear of the bike on either side, um, and so they are often a little bit more expensive depending on how they're set up, um, but they can also offer more storage space and the big advantage is that they keep the centre of gravity a lot lower. Mm. Um, so there are a few different ways that you can um, get them set up or different options for panniers. Um, so one of those is where um, they just kind of clip over uh, the back seat or the mm -hmm. rear seat, the pillion seat um, of the bike um, and, and clip and other options where they are a bit more secured through um, kind of attachments to the frame to make mm. them sit out and be a bit more structured. There are also options within there about whether they are just kind of zips or whether they are more lockable. Um, and for both panniers and top boxes, there are a broad variety of options, but they're usually defined by the actual bike that you ride. And so this is where going to local bike store for advice on what is an option for your bike is going to be a really good first step mm. um, to get a sense of what you can actually choose from. Yep, spot on. Um, Similar-ish location towards the rear of the bike and, and one that, again, is useful to kind of keep the centre of gravity a little bit lower. Um, and those are um, like bags that sit on the rear of the bike, hmm. um, on the rear seat itself. Yep. Um, and so I had one of those, um, which was really <laughs> that's where all the super heavy stuff was mm. <laughs> packed into for for my week away in Claire um and that was really great in terms of nice and accessible really easy to get on and off um these ones were just kind of clipped 
Um, and you can actually pack quite a fair bit of stuff in that. I think that one was probably the size of a small backpack yep. um, and worked really, really well. Yeah, th- those ones, um, the thing I like about those are that uh, they tend to be held on by clips that just click underneath the uh, the, the pillion seat. So mm. there's no fitting of frames. There's no anything else that you need to do. You're simply just clicking on a couple of straps that, that uh, go underneath. That way it's locked on there. Typically it's clicked, uh, easy click to remove. And okay, as you've said, you, they might not be quite as big as some of the other storage mechanisms, but you can... And it sits at low, relatively low um, mm. and you can store heavy stuff on there because it is sitting on the pillion seat. So, yep, very good. Anything else? Yeah, I was just going to say the, they, they help to keep the bike narrow. If you're worried at all about width, yeah, um, then those, those rear seat bags have the advantage of keeping the bike narrow and also um, that lower centre of gravity, mm. lowish. Um, in contrast to to a top box yep. in particular, but tend to be a little bit smaller. Yep. Smaller again. Um, options are tank bags, so these are usually sitting in front of you as the rider on the tank. Um, they're often a lot handier to access when you're on your bike, and so particularly useful for things like navigation. Um, there are some where you can set your phone or a similar kind of thing to display for navigation instructions. Um, and they can be useful for that. It really easy to kind of take on and off the bike often, um, but they're really only designed for quite small things and depending on the type of bike that you are riding, um, they can be a little bit awkward in terms of having a bag between you and Mm. your actual instruments um, of the motorcycle itself. Yep. Um, And finally, um, I think another storage option um, to think about is a backpack. I think a lot of people ride with backpacks. Um, There are some really well-designed backpacks for motorcyclists specifically um, that will have uh, a nice kind of contour to your back um, and also provide a bit of protection to your items um, with the type of fabric that they're made from. and they're often quite necessary. They're handy to kind of get on and off the bike. You don't have to do any kind of clipping. It's just there. Um, but I think your advice, Mark, has always been to avoid them if you can mm. um, because the more weight that you're carrying on your back, the quicker you'll fatigue, particularly yep. if you've got a bike that has any kind of sporty uh, riding position. Um, and when you're riding, conserving your energy is actually really, really important. Hmm. Yeah, I think for like for shorter rides, commutes, things like that, backpacks are fantastic. And Kay is absolutely right that there are so many options out there that are really good uh, backpacks that you can use. But um, yeah, as Kay will talk about a little bit later, uh, the longer you are riding, the more important it becomes to conserve your physical energy and to keep your body Mm. as fresh as you possibly can. So that's where I think if you can avoid having any weight on your your back and also on your shoulders, then it's just one less thing that is going to 
that is going to tire you out over time. Yeah. I I didn't have panniers um, set up for, for my ride over to Claire, so I did have a backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, but I purposefully chose a backpack that's more designed for hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had the ability to kind of clip in at your waist and across the yep. chest to make sure that the weight of the bag was sitting really nicely um, across your back to try and reduce some of that fatigue and drag on your shoulders and lower back yeah. um, yep. and purposefully packed that with l- as light as possible hmm. um, the things that were going to go in there. So that seemed to work pretty well. But again, that was only really a kind of two of and a half, three hour ride. So it yeah. wasn't too big a deal. Yep. Look, um, great summary of options. I think whatever you do when you are decking out your bike ready to carry gear, just make sure it's really safely and securely attached. Mm. Avoid anything that is dangling and flapping around. At the very best, it's going to give you that absolute irritants after an hour or so of riding <laughs> if things are flapping around, belting against you. Uh, worst case, something's going to get loose and is going to get tangled. When you are riding any where then the absolute last thing you want is something that is going to get tangled in your steering in your wheels in your gear just anywhere mm-hmm. um, so whatever you're doing just try and make sure that it is as safe as and secure as you can um, and you know things like Oki strapping a bag to your pillion seat and crossing your fingers for me is just I know big Big Dan, Big Dan swears by that that? method. I love you, Big Dan, but on that one, um, yeah, we just have to uh, uh, agree to disagree in terms of longer distance stuff in terms of uh, uh, that being the the best way to to go about it. Be be secure, be safe, don't be flappy. (laughs) Don't be flappy. Don't be flappy. Words to live by. Shout out to Big Dan. I love Big Dan. (laughs) It's a man mountain. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Anyway, uh, yes, secure, safe storage Mm. options. Um, I I think one of the things that I find quite frustrating with a with a backpack in particular is when you've you've tightened it and you get the little flappy bits at the end of the straps. They are very annoying. They are very Mm -hmm. distracting. Mm -hmm. Um, And particularly if I look at you know a shadow or something and I see something flapping, then that makes me very anxious. Uh, so I, I quite like using rubber bands, um, just always making sure I've got rubber bands to tie things up. And you, know, you can usually secure things r- relatively well, at least for a short amount of time with that. Yep. But yes, safety is important. We're all about safety. Um, and also just making sure that you're feeling really confident and comfortable um, in however you choose to carry your gear Um across those different options or something else, um, making sure that you're, you're feeling good, that it works for you, it works for your bike, it works for the type of riding that you want to do. Um, I think it's also worth considering that um, there may be a combination of some or all of those options hmm. um, and that might be different for different rides at different times for different bikes. Um, and the easiest way to reduce your storage requirements is to simply take less stuff, um, even if that means making some tough packing decisions. And I say that as someone who very much struggles to pack less, as much as she tries ever so hard uh, to be um, a, a, a light traveller, that very rarely ends up happening. <laughs> 
that's all right. I think it's a common it's a common challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so that really sorts out prepping the bike. Now, let's talk about well, apart from all of the the regular oh. things like yeah, doing a service check, True. making sure your maintenance, remembering to do your daily or yes. your pre ride checks on Very a regular points. basis, all of Very those things points. that should always be doing anyway yep. very very important to do before any long ride particularly if you're going to be going anywhere particularly um remote or rural very uh, true very true yeah. go back listening to the listen to the earlier podcast episodes i can't remember which episodes but about the, <laughs> um, daily checks and just general keeping your bike in good condition because yep okay well you've you, you've nailed it there that uh, the last thing you want is to be stuck in the middle of absolutely nowhere and find mm-hmm. out that something completely avoidable has now cropped up um yes yeah so thank you for the reminder um now the route Let's talk about route preparation. Kahi, with some of the factors that you are considering when you are preparing a route for a longer ride. Yeah, um, I think the first thing is is probably thinking about what type of ride I'm doing. What? Why am I doing this ride? So in the context of um, Sheila's shakedown earlier this year, going from Adelaide over to Ballin in rural Victoria, um, yeah, options were do we want to get from A to B as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to be kind of slowing down, seeing some of the sights along the way? Um, yeah, doing a motorbike trip can be a really fantastic opportunity to find and enjoy some really good roads. Mm. Um, and so taking the long way around or getting to kind of see a bit more of the country when you are riding is a fantastic option and it is a slightly different experience than when you are driving a car. Very much so. We um, And on that Sheila trip, Kay, we, we, we took the very direct route over to get there as quick as we could. But mm. on the way back, we had quite a nice uh, quite a nice detour going the long way around uh, the Great Ocean Road for those in Australia listening. Uh, yeah, coming from Victoria back to Adelaide via the Great Ocean Road. How was that mm. on a motorbike? It was marvellous. Um, it was really, really lovely. I think uh, an example of a fantastic road worth spending time on mm. um, and worth actually riding the motorcycle I think uh, yeah because we were taking turns one riding the bike one driving the car um, the times when I was driving were not nearly as fun <laughs> as yeah. when as when I was actually riding the bike and so I think that's a really great example of um you know, a, a long ride, you know, being that option of A to B relatively quickly. I think even then we still factored in some breaks and thought about mm. how many hours um, riding uh, maximum did we want to do in a day. Mm. Um, and then on the way back, still thinking about that maximum, but also about how can we structure that to be able to get to um, some good spots and then really enjoy the the great ocean road really enjoy the vista and, and the experience as we were going yeah and no matter where you go 
do your research and you'll probably find mm. that there are alternative routes, whether you're on-road, off-road, combination, whatever, uh, that are going to be worth seeking out and, and doing. And it is a different experience on a motorbike. Uh, mm. Great Ocean Road is probably one of the best examples, I think, going around of something that it's great in a car, but on a motorbike it's just something else. So take the time, do your research, and if you have the time, then stop and take it in. Enjoy it. Absolutely. Uh, so what next? Um, I think there, again, going back to that example of, of Sheila's when we talked about wanting to go over pretty directly and come back via the Great Ocean Road, you know, that to me then is saying, looking at the, the route options, as you were saying, and thinking about the number of stops mm-hmm. um, that might make sense along the way. So in particular, uh, fuel stops, I think mm-hmm. they have to be one of the the primary considerations. Yes, pretty low on um, Maslow's hierarchy, and it's also it's why it's so important <laughs> to at least get a pretty decent idea of what the range of your bike is, which is typically a lot smaller than most cars. Mm. Yeah, I found it really helpful in the lead up to Sheila's to to do a few tests of just trying to go as mm-hmm. far as possible on one tank. Yep. Um and get a sense of what a, you know, a fuel economy around the city or a bit of a mixture in city and, and um, highway riding might look like. Yep. And then also looking at the capacity of your tank, uh, which should be in the instruction details of your motorbike or probably yep. you can also search for it online. Yes. Um, and getting a sense then around how many kilometres should I be able to do comfortably mm-hmm. um, before I have to start freaking out. <laughs> Spot on, absolutely spot on. Um, but it's also as important to be thinking about um, scheduling stops to help keep your body and your mind fresh. I think that's also on the the bottom level of, of Maslow's hierarchy there too. Mm. Yep, <laughs> absolutely it is. Um, riding a motorbike is absolutely more physically and mentally taxing. Mm. Um, so do not expect as you start thinking about longer rides that you can spend as many hours traveling in a day um, on your motorbike as you would in a car. Mm. You are going to burn more energy, uh, firstly because of how alert you need to be on a motorbike, just because you're on a, on a motorbike, that is mm. more mentally draining. And and more physically draining because you're not sitting in a nice comfy armchair um, on cruise control, pretty much just vaguing out while the car does the work. You are on a motorbike, you are doing more physical work and that will that will drain you over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when we've talked a lot about, um, about risks in particularly in the earlier podcast episodes that we did, in this one, if you make a mistake on a motorbike, then the stakes are much higher. So, um, you know, all of those road safety warnings that you hear about taking regular rests, that they apply even more so on a motorbike because the, the stakes are just far too high. So don't push through fatigue barriers. It is absolutely not worth it. I... A hundred percent agree and endorse that message. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's important to to have a bit of self awareness around um, yeah how much you can concentrate in one go. Mm. And we know of people who ride you know five, six, eight hours a day, totally fine, don't bat an eyelid, mm-hmm. um, and I am just impressed by that level of concentration because mm. I do not have that. Um, 
for me, it looks like probably a maximum of, of four, maybe five hours in mm. a day um, with sufficient breaks. Um, and it, that was one of the things in terms of preparing for, for Sheila's that I tried to do was just getting longer stints on the bike ready to go um, and get my my mind and my body used to riding for mm-hmm. up to an hour, hour and a half, two hours in one go. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also things that we can do to help maintain that that mental energy and that physical energy around um, snacking. Um, mm-hmm. So trying to have um, a good variety of options for snacks that are a little bit of, of kind of instant um, high GI sugar carbohydrate options to kind of get that ping back up um, but also things that might be more um, slower processing carbs and protein to kind of help the body just stay a bit fueled um, whilst not expending too much energy actually processing and obviously keeping hydrated mm. so you know regularly stopping for water in particular um, that's crucial for your brain to be able to function well mm. and I know that it's easy to um, avoid drinking water when you're riding on a motorbike because it's that little bit harder to kind of have to stop and drink or, or find places to um, go to the toilet if you need to um, but it is really really important to keeping your mind and your body um, okay so when we're thinking about preparing and planning the route um, that's looking at how long might we have um, uh, in terms of kilometers but also in terms of like hours uh, between each stop um, and what are the options there for fuel for snacks for hydration yep and look adding in mine as well I think uh, probably three 90-minute stints in a day is probably about it for mm. me as well. I think much more in terms of time rather than kilometres. Mm. Um, and, yeah, 90 minutes at a stint and that's about when my concentration starts to wander as well. So, yeah, um, I could probably push for more. But, again, it's that question of at what point are you starting to not really be at your best as a rider and yeah. just don't push into those zones. It is just not worth it. Um, and and what, one final thing I would add here in terms of planning, timing and routes and things like that, particularly in country areas in, in Australia, and it's probably the same everywhere, is trying to avoid <laughs> dawn and dusk as much as mm. you possibly can. That is where many nocturnal uh, wildlife species come out to have a bit of a wander around the road. And if you, uh, uh, hopefully you never do it. I've had it in a car, never never on a motorbike, but coming face to face with a with a probably 100 odd kilogram kangaroo at 100 k's an hour is not something you want to experience ever no, so, thank so you. if you can avoid no. yeah, anybody that's done it will tell you the same thing um Mm-mm. avoid avoid the wildlife risk as much as you can um so yeah dawn and dusk just plan not to be on the road and if you have to then exercise extreme caution yes absolutely it is um it is a frightening thing uh and one where um you, you get to test uh, your reflexes and also your um, safety emergency stopping capability. Oh. 
it's yeah. it is terrifying um it's also worth mentioning here to keep a i think a close eye out on the weather um and to be as prepared as possible for all different outcomes um you know, nothing is going to suck your energy and concentration out of your body more than being overly cold or overly hot. Um, so do your forecasting, plan for the worst, hope for the best. This is where layers are really, really important. Um, we were wearing um, like waterproof rain pants um, over kind of normal riding trousers um when we were going over to Sheila's because the couple of days over it was horribly cold and raining um and then on the way back when it was less wet um then they could just tuck away really nicely they were nice and light um easy to pack um and that seemed to work really really well and similarly things like uh wearing um skins or compression tights under um, you know, riding trousers and under a jacket can be a really nice way to reduce body fatigue and also just be another layer of warmth that are very mm. light and very small to pack away if you need to. Yep, totally agree. And I reckon for me, the cold actually sucks more energy out of me than the heat does. Mm. Um, yeah, riding in those conditions over to Sheila's where it was about, oh, I think, eight degrees at one point along the way, um, eight degrees Celsius, and the rain was coming in at about 45 degrees. And the waves uh, in, into of water head. from yeah, that, that just the, the trucks. Yeah, coming up for, from the trucks. Um, yeah, but by the end of that day of riding for a few hours in, in weather like that, um, yeah, I was just dead on my feet by the Exhausted. end of it. So, yeah. Mm. And I'll add something in here as well. Uh just before we wrap up, um, just a reminder about bike security. So mm. this is another thing we talked about in an earlier podcast. But remember that when you are doing longer trips where you're going to be staying away for nights, particularly in hotels, motels or wherever, then your bike is just as much of a target when you're on tour as it is when it's at home. So yes. have a think about security wherever you're going. Um, think about your locking mechanisms or, or other security means. If you're staying at motels or hotels, then don't be afraid to call ahead and ask them if they have good secure parking spots, um, mm -hmm. either, either you know, uh, somewhere on the, on the premises. I've done that a few times when I've been uh, doing trips away and I haven't had anyone yet come sort of come back to me with looking like it's a dumb question. I think it's a pretty common question and so far they've all been good in terms of suggesting where the most secure place to park a motorbike is. Um, so, yeah, uh, treat it seriously. The last thing you want is to have mm. your bike stolen when you're on tour. Yeah, and that's where a good kind of disc lock uh, can be really useful. Yeah. They are quite small. They can be quite heavy. True. Um, but they don't take up a whole lot of space. They are very easy to um, put on and off. Um, and if you get one that's a nice bright colour and makes a really loud screaming noise, they can be a very good deterrent. Yep, absolutely. Um, so any other kind of tools or anything, uh, Mark, that you think we should oh. consider for a longer ride? Yeah, tools are tools are tricky because you are so limited in your storage on a motorbike that you, mm. you know, that you can't really take take much and whatever you do take whatever size socket you're going to take it's going to be the wrong one um <laughs> so you know if you were if you were going to 
think of anything if you're doing more than a few hundred k's i would suggest a can of chain lube even if mm-hmm. it's just a small can it's not a heavy thing um, giving your chain a, a spray of chain lube every few hundred k's i would definitely take some gaffer tape some zip ties mm-hmm. um, you know maybe a pocket knife or, or a multi-tool something that will let you get a little bit bush mechanic if you do you know something comes loose something falls off you have a low speed drop in a car park and you just need to tape yourself up until you get back to civilization Mm. Um, you could throw a small shifter shifting spanner in there as well but you know whatever whatever tool you take you you're going to need the one that you didn't bring with you so at least bring together a few things to 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 bodge together a fix that'll get you back to to civilization in 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 a pinch yep cool Awesome. Uh, so I think um, our takeaways for today, um, if we're thinking about longer rides, uh, and that can be, you know, relative, um, what might be a long ride for you might be a, a not quite as long for somebody else, but that's not the point. A um, couple of things to, to keep in mind there. So one is about preparing your bike. Um, So thinking about your storage options um, and also, as always, keeping the bike um, up to date in terms of maintenance and service and things like that. Thinking about your route, um, so planning for fuel, for uh, mind and body and concentration Mm. uh, stretches and and energy fixes with um, food and snacks and other things. Um, Preparing for the unknown to the extent that you can in terms of your um, gear or tools or things that you might take with you. Um, But overall, I think thinking about what type of ride do you want to have and hopefully um, planning a ride that means you can have as much fun as possible. Um, Yeah, Long distance rides kind of take a little bit more thought than um, a road trip in a car but they can be awesome fun as we've said in, in previous episodes there is um, very little that connects you to the road and the experience of being on the road in the same way that a motorbike can um, so um, they are a lot of fun yep it's a it's a cliche but when you're doing motorbike tours the the, the journey is often the destination Mm. Um, you'll get to somewhere at the end, but the actual ride itself is going to be very often the, the thing that you will remember and enjoy. So Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, next episode, um, mm. we are going to do – so today we're looking at longer distance riding. Next time we're going to talk a little bit about riding in groups. And that is in the lead up. Uh, So we're talking about Sheila's for next year, but we are also a few weeks away, I think on September the 17th from the Global Royal Enfield One Ride, which is a global event. There'll be rides going on all around the world. Um, There's going to be a a big one, we hope, coming up here in South Australia that will looking like we're going to have north of 50 bikes out on the road. That's cool. So... Yeah, if if the weather's good, I think we will we'll probably get about fifty, um, and that's a 
big chunk of people to all have on motorbikes, all riding in one group heading down to the same destination. So we're going to have um, a bit of a chat about some of the things to think about when you are riding in a group, particularly if it's not something that you have done before. And in the in the meantime, for those who just can't get enough of me, um, I'll also <laughs> yeah, okay that narrows it down. Um, I'm I've been asked to do an interview on Coast FM here in South Australia on their Moto Chat segment on September the sixth at seven pm, which is going to be talking about one ride and just giving a bit of background on the on the event and uh, why for anybody that has a Royal Enfield, um, they should be coming out and having a whole bag of fun. So that'll be next episode. Look at you plugging like a pro. I know. It's all about (laughs) cross-pollination or something. (laughs) I don't know. Cross-promotion. But it is very exciting. It is – I'm quite jealous that I don't have a Royal Enfield just to be able to join in the one ride. Um, It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm. Maybe I have to borrow one or something. Mm, We can talk. (laughs) We know a man. Um, (laughs) until next time please ride safe and have fun Beyond the Billion is brought to you by Kahi Wasabai and Mark Drexler and with the support of Woman Moto the online magazine for women motorcyclists go to womanmoto.com if you liked today's episode please remember to rate, review and subscribe and tell a friend it helps others find the podcast